Childhood didn't prepare me to live in a world among people of all different ages. I mean, think about it. When you're a child, everything is segregated by age. Your school classes are full of kids your age. Your sports teams are labeled by age. Kids older than you are looked up to and allowed to do more things. And kids younger than you are annoying and clingy and wish they were your age. In high school, things get a little looser. You might be a 14-year-old walking in the same hallway as an 18-year-old, a full-blown adult. But the age groups still don't mix much. Seniors hang with seniors and freshmen hang with freshmen and rarely do the two meet. College gets looser still. You might even forget how old your friends are. To a point. The older guy answering all the questions in class as he finishes his undergrad in midlife might be looked at with curiosity and suspicion by a lot of the younger students. The 16-year-old attending college early doesn't make a lot of college-aged friends. But then you're thrust into the real world. Some of your coworkers might be your age, but others might be the age of your professors or your parents or even your grandparents. You might still have band posters affixed to your wall with scotch tape while your new work friend who's 15 years your senior confides in you about her IVF treatments. And the rules in this new world are different. Age groups aren't bold delineations anymore. Age is just one quality of every multifaceted person you meet. And yet so many of us continue to act just like we're still in kindergarten. People older than us are one way, people younger than us are another way, and we have nothing in common with either of them. These beliefs are harmful. They're discriminatory. They're ageist. And today, we're going to explore their real-world effects and find out how to fight them. I'm Ashley Hamer, and this is Taboo Science, the podcast that answers the questions you're not allowed to ask. As you might have gathered by now, when it comes to forms of discrimination, ageism is kind of its own thing. Our research has sort of shown that ageism is one of the most experienced forms of prejudice and discrimination. It's more experienced than racism and sexism, probably because everybody has an age and can experience ageism at whatever age that they're in or in their life course. 
My name is Dr Hannah Swift. I'm a senior lecturer in social and organisational psychology in the School of Psychology at the University of Kent in Canterbury in the UK. Dr Swift studies ageism, both people's attitudes about age in general and ageism's effects on individuals. And that means there's research to be done pretty much everywhere she looks. Some of the examples that we see are particularly around different contexts, so within the workplace, within health and social care. Also within society, so we have this sort of cultural orientation that being young is good, um, youthful is good, and a lot of everything in our culture is sort of orientated towards valuing of, of youth over old age and experience. Do you think that ageism is a more acceptable ism in society? Yeah, our research has certainly shown, shown some of that. I think partly because, you know, we only had these sort of working definitions of ageism for the last 50 years. So it's a much later sort of recognised form of discrimination. And so that means that academically, you know, we haven't really been researching it as, as long. So um, haven't been drawing attention to some of the um, issues that people face as they've been getting older. And also just sometimes in the way in which it's expressed. So in the workplace, one of the things that we hear about is, and also society more generally, is, is the jokes that you kind of get. So this kind of more informal kind of ridicule and joking about your age or uh, because you're older, or if you've reached a certain age. Just look at birthday cards, great example of this. <laughs> you see people get their birth birthday cards. Um, you know, quite often there's lots of jokes about getting older, what it's like to get older, a lot of negative kind of reminders that we're going to experience, lots of negative things when we get older. And these kind of jokes are seen as acceptable. I know, I know. Birthday cards? Birthday cards are discriminatory now? That's not what she's saying. It's that the jokes we make like the cards that say, inside every old person, there's a young person wondering what the hell happened. And the memes of grandmas using computers that say, tracking cookies, they'll never get my recipe. Those jokes enforce norms. So we create certain norms about what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And some of those are around age. One of the examples of this, I think, particularly that women face, is around clothing. So what's acceptable for you to wear at a certain age? And then we see it as kind of more acceptable to kind of call people out when they're not adhering to those norms. And one of the ways you call people out is that you laugh at them, you joke about them, you know, you poke fun at people because they're not adhering to these norms. So using comedy is actually a way in which we kind of try to get people to or to control people around these sort of sets of norms that we have. There are a lot of theories out there about what makes something funny, but a popular one is the social violation theory of humor. It says that for something to be funny, you need three things. A normal perspective about what things should be, a perspective that violates that norm and causes some emotional reaction, and some way of experiencing both of those perspectives at the same time. So, like, take my favorite joke of all time. Two sausages are sitting in a frying pan, and one sausage turns to the other sausage and says, is it getting hot in here or is it just me? And the other sausage says, oh my god, a talking sausage! Sausages don't usually talk. 
but we're used to weird stuff like that happening in the context of a joke. Our normal perspective is that in a joke, one inanimate object can say something to another object and get a witty punchline in return. The violation of this perspective happens when we realize the other sausage is not aware of this joke perspective and doesn't expect inanimate objects to talk, despite the fact that it itself is an inanimate object that's talking. So in its response, we get both perspectives at the same time. For the joke to work, you have to be familiar with the idea that inanimate objects can talk in jokes. For the grandma on a computer meme to work, you have to be familiar with the idea that old people are bad with technology. But even if you're not familiar with that idea, you get the message loud and clear. For that reason, psychiatric researcher Joseph Pulameni suggests that one reason humor evolved was to enforce social norms. That kind of makes the birthday card aisle seem like a lot higher stakes. Of course, there's a big difference between my sausage joke and the grandma meme. I'll never be a sausage, but if I'm lucky, I will get older. There is this strange dynamic with ageism, which is different to other forms of prejudice, which makes it very unique in the sense that we can embody all of these norms, understand what it's like to be older, fear the aging process, poke fun at older people, But then as we get older, we might think, oh, hang on a minute, now somebody else might do this to me. (laughs) Right, so it's kind of like acceptable for us to do it when we're not acceptable, you know, that's the wrong thing to say, but um, we, we might do it when we're younger for different reasons. And then as we get older, we've actually kind of embodied some of those norms and what it means, and then adhere to them or not adhere to them. And then could be the target of the discrimination from other people. When we're, when we're older. Do we discriminate against ourselves at that point too? Yeah, so it's one of these forms of prejudice that can be internalized. And what I mean by internalized is that because age, so what it means to be a certain age or to be older, to be younger, all of these things are to some extent sort of culturally and socially constructed, right? So set of norms or milestones that we have that we think that we might have to reach at a certain age. You know, it might vary from culture to culture. Um, And also this kind of value that we place on youth and towards being younger and looking younger and feeling younger and dressing younger. You know, these are things that we kind of absorb from the culture around us, particularly in kind of Western cultures, right? So UK, America. This leads to another strange dynamic. A lot of the time, we decide for ourselves that we're too old for certain activities. How many times has somebody said, I'm too old for this? I'm too old to go to this pub. I'm too old to go into this shop and shop here anymore. I'm too old to wear this dress or skirt or heels or whatever. Like we say it all of the time and we hear people say it all of the time. And that is a great example of somebody sort of recognizing, firstly, what it means to be acting at that certain age or the age that they are, recognizing that there's an acceptability or social kind of acceptability around the behavior or whatever it is that they're doing. And then acting in line with that or choosing not to act in line with that. So 
we can modify and we change our behavior as we get older to what actually we think is acceptable or what we think we should be doing as we get older. Clothing and dresses are kind of a nice, easy one to kind of, um, you know, we change our shopping habits and fashion styles and things like that as we get older. And I guess pubs and restaurants and kind of those kind of social things as well, I think, get to a point where we go, actually, maybe I'm too old for this place. <laughs> you know, maybe I, sh- I shouldn't be dancing until 3am in the morning, you know, <laughs> and, and you kind of switch and do other things that you think are more acceptable for your age. That immediately makes me think of a show I used to watch in college that uh, what not to wear. It's like a fashion show. And they have I remember in the opening scene, they have like a street sign that says no mini skirts after 35. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Man, talk about enforcing norms. I kid you not. That street sign was in my head as a fashion guidepost from age 19 until right around when I turned 30. Why not 35? Well, age 30 was when I was really feeling the pressure of all the listicles telling me everything I should have done by then and all the things I was no longer allowed to do. And well, I just realized it was all garbage. I'm 35 and I own a miniskirt. And as soon as, you know, the pandemic is at a point where we can go places that, you know, warrant it, I am going to rock that miniskirt and rub it right in Stacey London and Clinton Kelly's smug faces. I. I love you, Stacey and Clinton. I just love being myself more. You know, society is kind of structured in a way in which we do kind of try and control people's behavior like this, right? So there'll be cool bars that you go to when you're at college or when you're allowed to drink and things like that that are uh, full of people your own age. And then there'll be bars that other people go when they're a little bit older and then bars and restaurants that other people go when they're even older than that. And um it is interesting to see how parts of society can actually be segregated by age without even really wanting it to be or noticing it. But there is this idea that you know, older people shouldn't be doing things that are reserved for younger people. So this idea that youth culture, you know, you've got to hold on to that bit of identity that's your youth and that's young. And in order to do that, what people do is they kind of derogate or put down people of other age groups, right? So if you're young to create a positive identity around your youth and your youth culture, then you might put people down who are older and that aren't part of that, right? Because that makes you feel good about your own age. Like we're young, yes. Um, and, then, um, and with that obviously goes these notions around what's cool, what's valued. But, you know, I mean, one of the things that's always fascinated me is, why you don't see many <laughs> older people at kind of raves or dancing until three o'clock in the morning or doing all of these things that, that you might do otherwise, it, even if it's just like dancing. You know, we tend to think that older people lose their ability to kind of be interested in hobbies and aren't interested in the same things that they are interested in. Somehow you reach a certain age and then you're just like, oh, I'm not interested in dancing anymore or music or comedy, or theater, or anything like that. Right. Yeah. And they must be. I mean, I feel like I I can feel myself getting less interested in it. But yeah, it might be not entirely internal. It might be, I don't want to be around people who are much younger than me. Um, Like, I feel weird about it. The music isn't something that I'm listening to, right? It's not something I grew up with. Yeah, I guess there are a lot of reasons that I wouldn't. But if you wanted to, if, if none of those things were a problem, 
it would be uncomfortable mm. probably yeah 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 and and obviously what you're saying there is also that the ageism goes both ways right like once you reach middle age or older you don't want to start hanging out with people who are younger than you because you part of part of the way that ageism works is that there is this perception that you're not going to have anything in common right so older people you know we don't have anything in common with them that's what younger people say you know why would I want to go and talk to that old person over there or go into that nursing care home and talk to them like we're not going to have anything in common older people can see it the same way downwards towards younger you know I don't understand the culture I don't understand the technology why would I want to go and talk to them we're not going to have anything in common and that kind of perception is basically just exaggerated by age right and that's one of the barriers of why it's actually very difficult to get people (laughs) together in the same room to talk to each other and then realize I actually, you know, you like that kind of music and I actually still listen to that kind of music and, you know, you like that program and I like that program. Then you start to find commonalities and that's how you actually break stereotypes and then reduce ageism, essentially. You might not have any friends who aren't your age. Then again, you might have tons of them. If you're in that second camp, I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that you're probably middle-aged. In our research, what we've done is we've asked people if they have a friend, so not a family member, but a a friend who is over the age of 70, right? And very few people under the age of 30 have a friend that's not a family member over the age of 70. And the same if you ask all the way along and you you ask people, do you have a friend who's under 30 or do you have a friend that's over 70? So you kind of see this crisscross. Younger people, all of their friends are pretty much belong to their own age group. And then as we get older, we are connected, mostly via the workplace with people who are sort of under 30, but also older and potentially people who are over 70 are still working. And, you know, friends of family members, you know, grandparents, but their friends that also become sort of your friends or maybe from hobbies and things that you do so as we get older we tend to have or in in our middle generation that is the most connected generation and they have friends who are both younger and older and then as you get older again and you you reach 70 you're very unlikely again to have a friend who's under 30. So these two parts of of society are actually not very well connected with each other which obviously create lots of stereotypes and misconceptions and ageism. (laughs) We'll get to how to make friends outside your age group later. But the fact is that the jokes and TV shows and clubs devoid of people over 30, it's all a lighthearted sign of some deep issues with ageism in society. And those issues can have life-altering effects. Healthcare is one of the areas that we get a lot of evidence that ageism exists. Partly because ageism tends to exist um, and can be reported on when people tend to be denied a treatment or something or access to something. And obviously healthcare is a big play, a big context where it's all about giving people access to treatments. There's lots of different ways that you can look and lots of different evidence uh, about where ageism exists in healthcare settings. Some of it exists because people aren't getting access to treatments because of a certain age that they are. Um, 
I think one of the interesting areas that we're seeing at the moment is particularly around mental health. So not getting access to kind of mental health needs that you might have or referrals to different kind of mental health services because of your age. There's sort of a bit of a notion that, well, if you're, you're depressed, you know, you're old. So of course you're depressed. You know, what do you expect? <laughs> what do you expect to happen at your age? That's one area that ageism can exist. And there is also this idea internally that people have as well. So not only can you be a target of ageism because of your age, perhaps by the people who are around you, but also, again, you can sort of display this kind of internalised ageism of maybe not wanting to rehabilitate or not finding the, the value in rehabilitating because of your age. Okay, so the doctor wants you to quit smoking. Well, what's the point of that? I've been smoking all of my life. You know, why would I want to quit now? I just I'm this old this is who I am and I what's the point I'm not going to so there's a maybe a bit of a notion around that but I think generally where it occurs mostly is because we tend to use age as a proxy for how fit people are and how healthy they are you know you once you reach a certain age you're expected to be in sort of sort of condition your body is in a certain condition your mind is in a certain condition and then you you're using age as a kind of a way to judge how best somebody might respond to something rather than maybe using actually how much activity people do or how healthy their heart is which you know very different ways but we use age as a kind of a proxy we're forgetting i think that there are obviously huge variations between people of the same age and i think you know, a lot of people who get to a certain age that have been very fit all of their lives can find, well, actually, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly fit. So why can't I have this treatment? You know, might not be the same as other people my age. So the risk might be different. Of course, ageism doesn't happen in a vacuum. We've got all sorts of biases about different types of people. And our beliefs about age often intersect with our beliefs about race and gender. One big one that we're all familiar with is that classic Hollywood double standard where aging male actors get bigger roles with younger romantic interests, while aging female actors just kind of disappear. You tend to hear a lot of people saying that there are double standards of aging. And you see this maybe reflected in media and social media. But men who age, you know, they are generally most of the time aging well. We don't really care so much about men aging in the public eye. I'm talking particularly kind of celebrities. It's okay to be an older man on TV. So I'm quite older. I'm just talking about, you know, 50 plus on TV. That's fine. And we have terms that we use to say that they're still attractive at 50 plus. And then for women, people will talk about this sort of double standard. So for women, aging is heavily scrutinized. Um, any kind of wrinkle, any kind of sign of aging, you know, it's fine for men to have older men to be on TV with gray hair, but you see an older woman or, you know, just even, yeah, 50s or 40s even, maybe with a bit of gray hair and it's kind of marked out and, you know, flashing. <laughs> it's kind of like really pinpointed. So you hear about this sort of double standard that it's okay for men to age, but not okay for women. And then I think I would also say that it's just generally experienced differently depending on the context that you're in. So in the workplace, quite an interesting one because 
both men and women report ageism in the workplace. There is a hypothesis that women over 50 experience more ageism because it intersects with their gender. So they experience both ageism and sexism in the workplace. So that's what we call a double jeopardy hypothesis when you've got you know, two kind of stigmatized identities. So you can experience discrimination based on either one of those. But we've also seen research, very recent research, that's actually shown that a man choosing to stay on in the workplace, violating this kind of norm that you should reach a certain age and that you should retire. So if a man stays on in the workplace and violates this norm, he is heavily kind of penalized and evaluated negatively. But if a woman stays on in the workplace and works beyond retirement age, that she's not penalized. And actually the research is saying that she's not being penalized because she's a woman and she was never afforded that sort of status of being in the workplace in the first place. So like nobody wants her position. Really. <laughs> yeah. So the idea is that men staying on in the workplace is actually seen as more of a threat because they're a man. Whereas a woman in the workplace is seen as less of a threat. So they can kind of get away with staying on in the workplace because they're not seen as a, as a threat because they're a woman. Wow. So it's kind of an, an, an interesting new line of research that's, that's been coming out and actually um, it's, been looked at in terms of a few different areas, particularly around leadership, retirement, men staying on in leadership positions longer are more likely to be penalised than women staying in these positions longer. But it is kind of an interesting finding and something that we're doing a bit more research on at the moment, actually. There's something important I should point out here. Just because you're vehemently against discrimination on the basis of race or gender or sexual orientation doesn't mean you're all good on the ageism front. In fact, a recent study found that the biggest advocates for equality are actually more likely to be ageist because of one common stereotype. The idea that older people are against social progress. One hallmark of a stereotype is treating an entire group of people as a monolith. And it's important to remember that age is not a sign of a person's social or political beliefs. Another way we treat older people as a monolith is by calling anyone over a certain age the same thing. Older people. Older people can include my 67-year-old father-in-law and 88-year-old Quincy Jones, even though Quincy Jones was making music before my father-in-law was even born. Throughout this podcast, I've used the term older people. And everybody listening to this will have a different idea about what I'm talking about when I'm talking about older people. I mean, I'm talking about 60 plus there. And then also in the workplace, an older worker is considered 50 plus. So I'm talking about, you know, huge cohorts of people. What's interesting is that we don't talk about childhood in the same way, <laughs> you know, like just 10 years of, you know, from zero to 10, we have a few different names, um, developmental stages that we talk about. With aging, it's just, oh, I'm just talking about sort of older people, quotation marks, and I'm actually talking about sort of 50 years, 40 years of life potentially that we're kind of just treating as the same group of people. Right, yeah. They're all different generations. They all have different experiences. We just throw them on the pile. Exactly. So that's part of where ageism kind of comes from is just this kind of categorization of people as a group of people at a certain age stereotyped in the same way, 
as liking the same things, um, being the same way, which is just obviously ludicrous. We've spent a long time talking about how quote-unquote culture doesn't respect older people. The natural response, of course, is that this is unique to Western culture. Eastern cultures revere their elders. It's an elder's paradise, right? Well, that reverence comes with its own problems for older people. I always get told, well, maybe we just need to be a bit like Eastern cultures who value the kind of wisdom of the older generation. And actually the older generation is seen sort of head of the family and they have a lot of say and power in the family dynamics. And that is seen as almost a bit of a gold standard. You know, we get told, why don't we more like these cultures that do value their elders? And it's interesting because I can definitely see, you know, that we should be respecting our elders more. But also when you actually... Um, and I've seen people do a lot of research um, in these cultures, the ageism can actually take a different form. So some older adults in these cultures may feel that they don't want to be a burden on their family. They have a very strong feeling of not wanting to be a burden on the family. And actually that can then translate into a high number of elder suicide, right? So that's a different way in which the ageism can manifest sort of this idea and feeling that you don't want to be a burden on your family, you know, that they will have to look after you and take care of you. And you don't want that kind of pressure to be on the, on them. So that is kind of just a slightly different angle and way in which the ageism can actually manifest as well. But this is all about older people. I'm young or, you know, youngish, whatever. I know that I'll be old someday, hopefully. But I've got years before this is a problem for me, right? I, see, I want to be like, how does ageism harm young people? But I'd love to get more personal. How does, I'm 35. How does ageism harm me? Interesting. I mean, I would say, how do you feel about aging right now? Yeah, I'm afraid of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, 35 is a is an interesting one because I think once you reach your 30s, see, this is where it's, it, I do think that it intersects with being a woman particularly. But I think around thinking about life stages and where you are. So are you married? Do you have children? Um, if you've had one child, are you going to have another child? I mean, we're bombarded by lots of things that we think are acceptable to get to once you get to a certain age. So the ageism actually can come from family members. You know, it's kind of, are you in a relationship? Are you not in a relationship? Oh, do you know you might be too old to have kids yet? Or not too old? Or have you started thinking about this yet? Or have you not? And all of these things can make you really aware of your age, which you weren't aware of before. Also, I think at the age of 35, so we have asked people, when, when do you think youth ends and when do you think old age begins? So one of the interesting things about researching ageism is that we call it kind of this slippery form of prejudice, right? Because we don't have these defined age categories and they can change as we get older ourselves. 
So when we're younger, um, you know, when we're kids, we think somebody at 35 is really old. <laughs> and then as we get older, we go, oh, no, it's not old at all. You know, still doing all of these things. And we just sort of keep pushing up that age boundary. And 35 happens to be one of the most popular answers that we get for the end of youth in the UK. Wow. It's not the average of, of, of all of our results, but it's the most popular number that people say, say 35. So you might be feeling like you're losing, <laughs> you're losing that kind of, well, I'm not young anymore. Am I moving into middle age? And what does middle age look like? What does it look like in terms of fashion, clothing, dress? What should I be wearing to work? Where should I be in my career? How much should I be earning? What kind of house should I be living in? In the UK, it's quite difficult to get a mortgage on a house. So, you know, and a lot of people are maybe do that, you know, getting that first step. Are you on that ladder? Where are your friends at? Youth are friends quite a lot. But also just that kind of, you know, have I started thinking about how much working career I've got left? <laughs> when am I going to retire? The age of people retiring keeps going up. What am I going to do? I've had maybe 10 years, five, 10 years in the workplace. Am I where I want to be? Is this who I am? Do I want to transition? There's lots of things that actually come with kind of trigger points and transition periods um, between boundaries. So you might be feeling some of that. <laughs> yes, I definitely have all of those things. <laughs> For someone who spends most of her time researching older generations, her description of my 35-year-old experience was scarily accurate. I was like, is she reading my diary or something? Well, it's a lot simpler than that. When we were wrapping up at the end of the chat, she told me that she, too, is 35. She doesn't just know the struggle. She's living it. But as a not young anymore person, I can complain about younger generations, too. What about younger people? What about, you know, Gen Z, uh, people who are in maybe their late teens, early 20s? So I think what we have potentially to see now with COVID and we saw this a little bit with the last economic crash as well, sort of 2008, 2009. Um, whenever there's a kind of economic threat, so job market might be shrinking because of COVID, and there's lots of, good, lots of economic pressures, then we tend to see this idea that you know, maybe actually older people should step aside out of the job market and make way for younger people coming through. And so they might be feeling discriminated against in particularly in terms of jobs, job opportunities, housing market, I think is a big one um, because the baby boomer population have kind of benefited from a lot of economic growth. So you see that actually, I think in the UK and both in the US. So they might be feeling discriminated against in terms of opportunities, career opportunities and workplace. They're also being negatively stereotyped at the moment in relation to COVID. We see a lot of kind of this idea that younger people are disobeying the rules, maybe partying too much, having large gatherings. We're seeing a little bit of that. And all of these things stereotype one age group just as, and stereotypes work by kind of overgeneralizing these things. So you think that it's all young people that are doing this. All young people are disrespecting the rules when obviously that's not the case. It's just like a select few that might be. So ageism affects pretty much every generation. And that leads to the big question. How do we fight it? 
So the research shows that the best way to break down sort of ageism and stereotypes, both towards younger and towards older, is to have a friend that you hang out with (laughs) who is of a different age. That's right. Change the world. Make friends with someone who isn't your age. Just not all of us know how to do that. After age 25, it's harder to make friends of any age, period. It's not just me. That's backed by research. So if it's hard for 20 and 30-somethings to make 20 and 30-something friends, making 60 and 70-something friends can seem like an insurmountable challenge. So how do you do it? Well, first, you have to be open to it. Having an age gap friendship, as some people call it, might feel foreign at first, but it can be really rewarding. For one thing, research suggests that as people get older, they're less prone to drama and arguments. You also can get the kind of perspective from them that you might get from your parents or grandparents, except they're not related to you, so you can talk about sex and other taboo topics without making it weird. But also, people are people, regardless of age. We've been saying that this entire time. They like movies and food and good books and, I don't know, tennis. And that's the way to make an age gap friendship. Go where other people like you go. That might mean joining a meetup group in your area or volunteering somewhere that's important to you or just chatting with the neighbors in your building. Make the effort and it could reap benefits. Not just for your social circle, but for the world at large. And that can help because it's really important when you're trying to break down prejudice and discrimination that you feel like you have something in common with that age group or with that person. So having a friendship with that person, you then start to see, well, actually, we're not so different. We're very similar. We've got things in common. um, And you can get an understanding of where people are in their time of life and how they've got there. Um, And that can be helpful. So you don't think, well, hang on a minute, older people are stereotyped as very incompetent um, but actually, you know, I play chess with this person who's not, you know, not very incompetent. Or I go to this person for advice. You know, they're wise. They're not incompetent. So actually, you know, break down stereotypes like that. Thanks for listening. Taboo Science is written and produced by me, Ashley Hamer. The theme was by Danny Lapotka of DLC Music. Big thanks to Hannah Swift for speaking with me. She was so generous with her time, and I'm unbelievably grateful. If you liked this episode, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser. Podcasting solo can be kind of lonely, and seeing what you thought brightens my day. Even if it's not positive, actually. What can I say? I guess I'm just a glutton for punishment. You can follow the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. It's all taboo science, all one word, on all of those platforms. Or just visit the website to find everything all in one place. That's at taboosciencesho The next episode is going to be kind of gross. Can't wait. See you next time.